everyone. My name is Magdalena, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. Thanks for my, so much for having me here this afternoon. <laughs> I want to thank Jeff for asking me to speak. He's, you know, he's such a perfect person. <laughs> you know, he's very good in writing, very detailed, and thanks a lot, Jeff, and, and Madeline for um, hosting me this weekend, and Palmer and Donald, Vicky's husband, your present delegate's husband, went and picked me up, so she's very good because she delegated her husband <laughs> to come and pick us up, so <laughs> good delegate. <laughs> anyway, some what it was like, what happened, and how it is today. I, I am from Mexico, so that's where my heavy accent comes from. I've been in the U.S. for many, many years, and, and uh, my accent doesn't go away. I think God likes it, and so <laughs> he wants me to keep it. So. Um, my first alcoholic uh, was, is my father. Uh, he is, um, like I said, we're from Mexico, from Ensenada, Baja California. I um I, you know, my parents met when they were about 15, 16 years old, and uh, I think my father was already an alcoholic when when they got married. And um, and my mom, I am the first daughter of six girls. And every time my mom, my mom, my dad always wanted a boy, and but my mom kept having girls, you know. And my my, uh, I'm sorry, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Uh, my father was not too happy about my mom. Keep, you know, she kept having girls, and, and so every time a child was born, he would say, "Oh, another prostitute, another prostitute." So we grew up thinking. I grew up thinking that I was a prostitute, and then she named me after after my 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 grandfather. His name was Magdaleno. So they just changed the O to an A, <laughs> and um, and so. Nobody ever taught, I never met my grandfather, and I wanted to know more about him because I was named after him. And so I asked my mom, Mom, how come, you know, what happened to my grandfather? Nobody ever talks about him. And she said, well, nobody talks about him because he was crazy. And I said, well, gosh, okay, what was wrong with him? And she said, well, he drunk too much. <laughs> so they didn't know what to do with my grandfather on those days. And, and what they did, the cure back then, you know, for to uh, work with the problem was they built a box in the backyard, you know, like a big box. And they stuck my grandfather in there. <laughs> and they had a little door like this, you know, and they fed him through that little door. <laughs> and... His only friend was my father. So my father started drinking with his father when he was about eight years old. So when they met, my father was already an alcoholic. And, uh, and you know, I like to think that perhaps that was a cure for alcoholism back in those years in Mexico. You know, you just stick him in the backyard in a box. You know? <laughs> so... Um, and my, my father's that kind of alcoholic who's very violent. He just hated me for some reason. I, I have always had a big mouth, too, so that didn't help. And my father used to, you know, tell me in the morning, Larguchona. It's, Larguchona doesn't really mean anything. It's something ugly and long. And I have always been tall and skinny <laughs> all the time since I was a little girl. And so he used to tell me, Larguchona. Um, get up and go get me a bottle of tequila. 
And in Mexico, you can buy tequila when you're a little kid. So I will go to the liquor store. I was about six, seven years old. And I will, you know, go to the liquor store and get him this big bottle of tequila. And on my way back, I remember being very angry at my father because, uh, in, because of his drinking. I always hated his drinking. And, and so I will get to the house and say, here's your tequila. And, uh, and, and then I will say, well, you know, why is it that you're drinking tequila and I can't remember the last time I had milk? You know, all we eat is beans and tortillas every single day and you're drinking your tequila. So my father used to get very upset and used to pull out this little black leather belt and he used to just hit me with the belt and just hit me, hit me, hit me. And I remember putting my arms up, you know, trying to protect me. I was this little skinny kid. Um, and, and, and I would put my hands on, in front of my face so nobody would know that I was, uh, being beat up. But, you know, you can only hide it so much. I would go to school with belt marks all over my arms and my legs and, and I would go to school and, and, um, the kids didn't want to play with me and uh, they, they would look at me. You know, most kids in Mexico are short and chubby and here I am tall and skinny and, and, uh, and with belt marks all over my body and, and, and the kids didn't want to play with me and they, and I will get close to them. They said, we don't want to play with you. You know, you're, you know, look at you. You know, you got beat up again and, and, and you're so tall and, 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 and then you smell like beans. <laughs> and I did because we didn't even have a toothbrush, you know, so. Really young in life, I, I got into yoga. I was six years old, and I got into yoga, and I will, you know, sneak out of the house to go learn yoga. And, and, uh, and my father didn't believe in education, so I was not allowed to go to school. In order to go to school, I had to sneak out of the house. And, and um, I became vegetarian really young, and, uh, and I was this great kid. I, you know, looking, taking an inventory, I was a great kid. And many times... Living in an alcoholic home, we believe what the alcoholic tells us. So, you know, my father will say, you're, you're stupid. You should not go to school. You know, you should be selling food on the streets. So I believe, you know, that I should be selling food on the streets and I should not go to school. But, you know, taking an inventory now that I'm in the, when I arrived to Al-Anon, I was this great energetic kid who was bright and just wanted the best of life, but I just didn't know how to get there because the alcoholic, you know, the, the disease was always in my life. So I, um, so I, I, um, I remember, um, I started dating and, uh, oh, before that, you know, I was still here. I'm still a kid. Okay. So <laughs> I'm not dating yet. Uh, and, <laughs> I, I used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents on, on my mom's side. Uh, you know, God always takes care of us. It doesn't matter how bad the situation is at home. By taking an inventory, I, may, I was able to see that I had these wonderful grandparents, and I love my grandparents. I used to spend the weekends with them, and, and I remember going to... To my, um, to my grandparents' house, and, and I think their job in life, you know, God sent them in this world, I think, just to love me, because they just love me. They call me mi negra, which means my black girl. <laughs> I was pretty dark when I lived in Mexico, but, you know, I live in Washington now, and the sun doesn't come out very often, so <laughs> I'm pretty light now. <laughs> 
And so, anyways, uh, I remember going, uh, talking with my grandma, and, and there was my grandma, and she was making tortillas, flour tortillas, and, and I remember just talking with her, and, and she would give me a tortilla, I would put butter on it, and I would just eat it, and I just felt the love from my grandmother. And then I would go next room with my grandfather, and there was my grandfather. I thought he was just the most, um, amazing guy in, in, you know, in the world. And my grandfather was so smart, so smart. You know, I thought he would, he had all these books and he would read them and tell me stories. And, and then after he told me a story, I would sit on his laps and, 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 you know, then he would start talking to me in Japanese and Chinese. And he told me he traveled all over the world. And, and I would just, I loved my grandfather. Um, but while I was sitting on my grandfather's laps, I was helping him clean the seats out of the marijuana, you know, and I would, <laughs> I would roll the joints for him, you know. And then I would like, he would light up the joint and say, here, you want to take a hit? And then I would say, no, grandpa, that stinks, you know, it stinks. So anyway, so. My my father is this kind of alcoholic who will just vomit everywhere, you know. And and uh so watching my my father get drunk, throwing up everywhere, and watching my grandfather smoke pot, you know, every single day, and he was like a hippie, I guess. <laughs> he didn't shower very often. So I've never been high or drunk in my life. You know, I belong in Allen, and thank God there is a place for us. So, anyway, so I am, um, but I, I just, uh, I thought, you know, I didn't want anything to do with alcoholics, and and uh, and but I love addicts, you know, I, because it reminded me of my grandfather. And another thing that you know, growing up, uh, we lived in this tiny little house, and and it was a two-room house. And the bathroom was outside, and my father used to tell me in the morning, Larguchona, get up and sweep the floor. And I would look at him with these eyes that I just wanted to kill him. And I will say, you know, why? It's a dirt floor. You know, it didn't make sense to me, you know. So once in a while, my father used to get this remorse. You know, he became remorseful for some reason. And, uh, and he would go outside. We had no electricity, no running water. And he would just go outside. And his father had left him this machete. And he would grab the machete and, and just go outside. And my mom used to say, go see what your father is doing. And my father was, you know, ready to kill himself. And I remember not saying anything, you know, just looking at him, <laughs> hoping he will do it, you know, just a little deeper, Dad. Come on, a little deeper. <laughs> but he's still alive today, you know. <laughs> and he's still drinking. So, anyways, um, my father is my father, and he suffers from a disease that is a, um, a disease that not everybody gets well. You know, so it's okay. Um, one day, my father came to my mom and said, you know, oh, another thing, my father, you know. <laughs> my father is about 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. He's, he's, you know, he's short and big belly and big head, curly hair. He's ugly, you know. And, <laughs> and my mom, she's 5'11", like I am. She's 
gorgeous. I think my mom's just gorgeous. But my father was always having affairs, you know. And one time, this, this, you know, one, one day one of these ladies got pregnant, and my father came to my mom and said, you know, I'm seeing somebody else. She's much younger than you, and you know that I don't love you, so you need to leave and take your five kids with you. So not knowing what to do, my mom started looking for work in Mexico. There was no jobs, you know. My mom was in her middle 20s, and she had five kids, five kids. She had a sixth-grade education, and, and that's the best she could do, and, and nobody will hire her. And she said, you know, she came to me, I was 15 years old, and said, can you take care of your sisters while I go to the U.S. and, and find a job? And I said, sure, Mom. She was offered a job as a nanny, um, in, in a house and taking care of these kids. She was a maid. And so my mom came to the U.S. illegally and, and she started sending money to Mexico. So we were eating a little better. My father's alcoholism progressed because that's what usually happens. And he started, not my mom not being around, he started looking at us like we were women and not his daughters. So he started touching my sisters in an appropriate manner and started spying on me when I was getting undressed. And, and I got scared, and, and I got scared, but I got mad too. And I wrote to my mom, and I said, Mom, this is what's going on. And my mom knew because she had witnessed that in the past. And, and she would say, stop it, stop it. And, and my, my father would just laugh and, and you know, we'll stop it for a while. And, and it's just insanity in the situations in an alcoholic home. So... Anyways, my mom said, well, if you want to come with me and live in the U.S. with me, you're going to have to drop out of school. And I said, I said, I will do it, Mom, because, see, I, I had stayed back in third grade three times, three times, because I just could not learn anything. I remember reading the books and trying to, trying to learn something, but, you know, I'm reading a, a, a book and, and the words are dancing in front of me. I just cannot understand, you know, what's going on. And, and while I'm reading, I'm thinking about the problem, you know, am I going to have something to eat tonight? Am I going to get beat up again? Will I be able to go to yoga? You know, stuff like that. And, and so, anyway, so I did not learn anything. I told my mom, mom, you know, I, I don't care. I'll just stop school. And, and so, so anyways, I, uh, I came to the U.S., and I came like most Mexicans do. I jumped the fence, you know, <laughs> and came illegally. <laughs> and, um, and so I came to work and I, I, at a chicken farm. And in this chicken farm, you know, they had rows and rows and rows of chickens. And, under, and they, they had about 20 chickens in each wire box. And under the chickens, there was a chicken poop. So when immigration came to take all the illegal aliens back to Mexico, you know, some of the, some of my coworkers <laughs> would run up the hill and some of us would hide in the chicken poop. You know, so I was one of those who hid in the chicken poop. And I remember sitting there, sitting there in the chicken poop. And, you know, uh, when you're sitting in the chicken poop, there's worms in there, there's bugs, and they stick to your skin. And you're like, gosh, there's another one. <laughs> you know? And, um, and so when I didn't hear any more noise, I would come out of the, of the chicken poop. 
and I would try to clean myself, but the chicken poop is a little soft, it's creamy, you know. <laughs> so it would stick to my skin, and, and I just felt so bad. I was 15 years old, I had a lot of acne, and I just felt like nothing, you know. I, I, I just felt like nothing. I was, I was the reject of this world, and um, my father was no longer in the picture. And, and even though the alcoholic is not there, you know, the insanity that step two talks about, you know, all those tapes will, will come back. You're a prostitute. You're stupid. You should be selling food on the streets. You're dark. And, 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 uh, and the friends, you know, my, the, the kids that I play with in, in those days, they would tell me that, uh, that I look like a dog. And, and then I remember barking myself at the mirror and, and looking at, I had a dog back then and, and, and I looked at the dog's lips and I looked around my lips and, and I go, gosh, we do look alike, you know. <laughs> So what you tell a kid, that, that stays in that kid's mind. So my father was not there anymore, but those tapes were running. So I, I went to my mom and I said, Mom, you know, I, I, like, I want to have friends. Can I go to Nike school? And she said, sure, you can go to Nike school, but you can't stop working. So I went to Nike school to try to learn English. And that's where I saw the most gorgeous, gorgeous guy in the universe. There he was. You know, he was tall. He was beautiful. He had long hair and he had a lot of friends and when he walked my whole world stopped. You know, there he was. There was nothing more gorgeous than him. And uh and so by now I had one friend, one friend, and every time this guy went by because he had a lot of friends, all oh, these guys always followed him. He was very attractive to both sexes. <laughs> And when, so when every time I saw him, I will, I, I, I will throw kisses at him, you know, and push my friend so he would think it was her. But he found out that it was me, you know. And so one day I was at the park with this friend and, and this friend, um, and then he called me over. There he was with all of his friends. And he called me over and after we introduced names, he said, would you like to go to a concert tonight? I go, gosh, I wonder what that is. I say, sure. <laughs> this is in 1975, and Bad Company was playing in San Diego. And so I went, I, you know, he came to pick me up, and, and he had a, this little Nova. And because he was always with a lot of friends, uh, I, I got to sit next to him. And, he, you know, he was the driver, and I got to sit next to him. And, and because all of, you know, he had all these friends, so I looked in the back seat, and it was full of people. You know, they were on top of each other. And, and this is before the seatbelt loss, you know. <laughs> so, I, you know, he, they started, he, okay, he put this A-truck player <laughs> in the stereo, you know, he, and this loud music came out. And, and uh, I, like I said, I had never listened to English music, so I was like, oh, gosh, I was so impressed. <laughs> and then he started, you know, they started passing the marijuana joint, and, and it passed right in front of me. And I remember taking a deep breath and thinking I'm back on my grandfather's laps, you know. <laughs> and and uh, they passed it right in front of me, and I said, oh, no, thank you. And, uh, and, but then I thought, you know, I can roll them for you if you need help, you know. 
since I had years of experience. But it was our first date, so I didn't want to be too pushy, you know. I, was, you know, I didn't want to get dumped the first date. You know. So we dated for two years, and in these two years, you know, he tried to kill me a couple of times because he was high on acid. But, you know, this guy had a bad life in Mexico. He, uh, his mom abandoned him when he was a little boy, and uh, he grew up on the streets. And uh, I think by age 10, 11, he was already in jail. And, and I thought, you know, this guy needs love, you know. <laughs> but when we get married, I'm just going to love him so much that he's going to stop doing drugs and he's going to stop drinking, you know. But, of course, that's not what happens. That was my illusion in our, in our uh, Al-Anon book how it works it's uh, it talks about the illusion that we live and 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 i had that illusion that i could i could if i love him enough he would stop drinking and so we dated for two years i got pregnant and and we got married and, and you know i thought the problem was done i also thought you know used to think when we get married we're gonna live in a nice in a nice area in Rancho Bernardo, which is a higher class neighborhood. And I don't know how I got this idea, you know, that we're going to have a nice house and, and we're going to play tennis in the weekends. <laughs> and we're going to have two nice low riders park outside, you know. But we never had a low rider. <laughs> the disease was too much, too big. And, but we had this beautiful little girl. And she was the most gorgeous kid, you know. And I hope we all feel that way of our kids. And, and I just, uh, we, we had a lot of problems, but we were so happy that we had this little kid. And we named her Mirabella, which means look at the beauty. And we just loved this kid. And I remember looking at my daughter and holding her up and thinking, you are just so beautiful. You're part of your dad and I. You have both of ours, you know, in, in one little piece of, of, of a person. And I made the promise that I was never going to hurt her and I was never going to let anybody harm her because she was my precious child and I just loved her and, and, I, and I meant every word that I said. But, you know, I didn't know that by living with alcoholics, I have become sick too. And all my concentration started on what the alcoholic was doing and not doing and how to protect, you know, protect him from wherever he was going and or prevent him from wherever he was doing. And, and I stopped taking care of, of, of my daughter. And, and my sisters, by this time, they were now living in the U.S. And I would take my daughter to my sisters to take care of, take care of her. But see, by this time, my sisters were drinking. They had joined dangerous gangs. They had their own low riders. They had their own life. And, and they lived in this dark world. And, and, uh, and I would take my daughter to, to be in the care of my sisters. And, and so my husband's alcoholism progressed. And now he was, you know, shoplifting uh, because he was now using heroin. And I was shoplifting with him because, after all, he needed a supportive wife, you know. <laughs> I heard that in the good and the bad, well, I might as well join him, you know. But I never got drunk, you know, and I never been, I never used any kind of chemicals. And, and so, anyways, um, 
I started getting upset because he was not coming home. And I, I remember standing by the door and waiting for him and, and tried to keep him in the house. And every time he wanted to leave the house, I would just stand by the door and say, don't leave me. Because when he left, my world left, you know, my happiness left, you know. And he made me feel good. And, and when he wasn't there, I feel, I feel terrible. And, and so he was everything to me. And so, so I didn't want him to leave. And, but then he would leave. And, and, and I would just remember standing by the door, waiting for him, waiting for him, waiting by the window. And by this time, it was 2, 3, 4 in the mornings when he would finally come in the house. And I was so mad. I was so mad. I would go to the kitchen door, grab a knife, and just wait for him, you know. And he would come in the house like nothing. And so I was so mad, I would try to kill him, you know, kill him. <laughs> And he just, we got in this big fight. My daughter used to come out of the room crying, Mom, Mom. And I would grab my daughter and just throw her in the room. And and um, and the neighbors used to, for some reason, we always lived with other people who were drinking or using drugs lived. So the neighbors used to come upstairs and say, Magdalena, stop, stop. And I remember with this knife holding up the knife and I would say if you don't leave I'll kill you too you know and they would just leave it's like just I was crazier than the alcoholic you know so anyways um one day I thought okay this is not working I'm beating him up cooking good meals not cooking good meals bailing him out of jail uh, shoplifting with him, nothing was working. So I thought, I'm going to have a, a boy, you know, and I'm going to have a boy, and now he's going to stop drinking, you know. So I had a boy, and he didn't stop drinking, you know. And when I had my boy, my son, you know, I was as happy as before, and I made that same promise, and I, and I, and we named him after, after him, after my husband, Carlos. And, uh, and you think that because somebody names a child after you, you will stop drinking, right? It makes sense to me. But he didn't. He continued to drink. And so one day he, the judge, you know, he was always in jail. I was always bailing him out. And one day the judge told him, you either go to treatment or you go to prison. So he said, I'll go to treatment. So he went to treatment. And that's when I was introduced to Alanon. And I remember going to my first meeting and, and just sitting in the room and looking at everybody. And, and I, they said, would you like to share? And I said, well, I want to know if I should allow my husband to drink. Because, see, he's not an alcoholic. He's an addict. And this really nice lady looked at me and she tapped me on the shoulder and said, dear, keep coming back. <laughs> and see... I didn't want to see that my husband was an alcoholic because I thought addicts were higher class, you know. <laughs> and I didn't want to see that I was married to an alcoholic, someone just like my father. But I could smell it, you know, I could smell it. But the denial is, is just so thick. So anyways, uh, my husband went to treatment and... I, you know, I, I didn't go back to Alanon because I didn't get the answer. And, and I, I want, I just wanted to know how to stop, you know, have, stopping from drinking. And, and, uh, I also thought, you know, I was in this 
ego, you know, the false ego. You know, my sisters were gang members. I was married to this tough guy who was full of tattoos, and he was always in prison, the false pride. And, and so I didn't think I needed Al-Anon. So six months went by. By this time, I'm still an illegal alien. I'm, I'm, every time, every once in a while, I will get deported. I will, you know, get back in the country. I remember standing by the borderline and looking at both sides of the, of the fence. And if I didn't see any border patrol officers, I would run and run and run to the other side. And when I didn't get arrested, I was disappointed. And I would go back and do it over again. See, because I am addicted to excitement, I love excitement. I just, it just fills me up. And, and thank God for service, you know, <laughs> because service gets me so busy. I'm like always so, so busy that I, when I go to sleep, I just pass out, you know. It's like, oh, I had enough today. Thank you, God. <laughs> so anyways, um, uh, nothing was working, and... And on this, so I decided, I told my husband, you know, why don't we move back to Mexico? I said, you know, we can come to the U.S. And by that time, I had learned a little bit of English where I could just cross the border and say that I was a U.S. citizen. And he said, well, whatever. You know, he just wanted to shut me up. And, and so we moved to Mexico, and, and that's when um, our, I used to drive 120, 140 miles a day just to keep him away from his friends. And, and um, my husband got out of treatment and started using again, drinking again. And during this time, um, I decided, you know, I thought, well, gosh, we're away from Mexico. He's got new connect. I mean, we're away from, from his friends. He's got new friends in Mexico. I'm all alone with the kids again. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to take karate classes. You know, that's going to stop him from drinking because he's tall as I am, you know. So I remember taking these karate classes. And, and when he would come home to bed, you know, I remember because I had learned some kind of serenity, I thought, you know, I will be in bed waiting for him. And as soon as he walked in the bedroom, I will get up and go, ah. <laughs> I wanted to cut him in little pieces, you know, and uh, so I could get some rest. And so he's like, you know, whatever, are you done with your show so I can go to sleep? <laughs> and, and so one day I was, um, I was driving this a hundred and some miles a day and and, and, and I was working in a factory. I was working 12 hours a day. And all my money was going on bailing the alcoholic out of jail. And, and um, things had gotten worse in my home uh, with my sisters. Uh, some of them were married to addicts or alcoholics that were beating them up. And, and uh, my mom had a new boyfriend now. She had another girl. <laughs> and... Uh, this new boyfriend and my mom were now selling drugs to my husband. My, um, my husband and my grandfather were getting high together. And there was just no, you know, there was no way out. How do you get out of this? How do you get out of that situation? There was just no way out. And one day I got in the car and I put my kids in the, in the, in the car and, and I started driving 100 miles an hour. And I said, 
I just want to die, you know. There's just nowhere to go. Where to, where can I go? I couldn't go to church because the God of my understanding had left me years ago. You know, he, he was a punishing God. I couldn't go to a psychologist or a counselor because, see, I thought that only... Oh, the counselors only saw people that had boogers coming out of their nose and saliva. And there was no boogers coming out of my nose or saliva. So I didn't belong there. There was nowhere for me to go, nowhere. Only suicide was the answer. And on this day, I was driving with those kids. And for the first time, it's like I woke up with a nightmare. My husband was on the passenger seat, and I look at him, and I didn't know whether he was alive or dead. But in that moment, I no longer care. You know, I had had enough. I had run out of ideas, and I didn't know what to do. I looked in the back seat of the car, and there was two kids there, and their hair was long, and they were super thin, and they no longer smile. They had this sad, sad look on their eyes, and I thought, my gosh, How did I get here? What happened to the promise that I made to those kids that I was just going to love them and care for them? You know, I I used to beat up those kids. And and I said, how can I get out of here now? What can I do? And in that moment, I remember Al-Anon. And I remember in the first meeting that I went to, it was in an Alano club. And they had the slogans and the steps and the traditions. And, and, and I remember the only thing that stayed in my mind that meeting is keep coming back and first things first. First things first. And in that moment, I, I, I saw my kids and they were first. And in that moment, I made that decision that I no longer care for what, ha- what happened to the alcoholic. It was the kids and I. And in that week, I made that decision to move back in the U.S., and I let go of my husband, and he went to prison for a long time. And I went to Allen, and in, 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 this, in this second meeting that I went to, I was ready to do anything the program told me to do. And, and the program said, you know, read the literature, uh, keep coming back, you know, um, make phone calls, do service, and I can't remember the other one. <laughs> but it was five things, five things. And, and so... Oh, stay connected, you know, talk to people. And so, anyway, so um, I, I kept going to meetings and I started, you know, I remember my first meeting, I was just shaking. I was so cold. My, my hair was long. My husband used to cut my hair while he was drunk. So you imagine how I looked when I went to my first meeting. I had holes in my jeans. I was, it was 1984. I was still dressing like in the 70s and, and I had a long shirt and, and a big jacket. I was just shaking and my hair was all over my face because I was so ashamed of what I had done. I, I was ashamed that I was a bad daughter, a bad mother, a bad bad wife, a you know, bad student, uh, a shoplifter, everything, everything. And, and I just sat there, and, and, and my heart was so cold, so cold. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. I went to this meeting, and, and, and there was, it was a small room, but there was a lot of people there. So I got to sit in the middle of two people. And these two people, their shoulders were touching my shoulders, and my shaking stopped. And my heart started warming up. And I started feeling the love in the, in the meetings. And, and, I, and I heard, get a sponsor. And on my third meeting, 
I went up to this man and I asked him if he will be my sponsor. And I asked him because every time somebody shared, he will acknowledge the person that was speaking. And you know when we live in alcoholic homes, our literature talks about that we speak a different language. You know, I remember trying to understand what the alcoholic was saying or why were they laughing? Why are they laughing? You know, I don't get it. It's not funny what they're saying. You know, but we speak different languages. And so, anyway, so I, when, when somebody spoke, Ralph listened to them. And, and so after the meeting, I went up to Ralph and I said, will you be my sponsor? And Ralph looked at me and see, I hardly spoke English. I didn't speak English. I, I could understand more than I could speak. And in this meeting, they had the, uh, the unconditional love that we so much talk about. They didn't care where I came from or how I looked. They just, you know, wanted me to be there because that's what Al-Anon is all about. You know, we help one another. And so after the meeting, I, I went up to Ralph and I said, will you be my sponsor? And Ralph looked at me, and I didn't know Ralph was from England. And Ralph has this strong English accent. And here I am from Mexico. I can't speak English. <laughs> and Ralph said, well, we'll give it a try, you know. And Ralph and I started getting together three times a week. And I started, you know, um, we started going through step one, step two, step three. And Ralph and I started getting together in the park. I needed a lot of help. And I learned that I no longer, I could no longer leave my kids in the care of, of the alcoholic, uh, of my alcoholic sisters because, you know, my kids were coming home with cigarette burns on their skin. And I thought, my sisters are not doing that. But see, it was no longer my sisters. It was the deceased who was there. And so I learned that my responsibility was to take care of those kids. So I started bringing my kids, you know, to the park with me. And my kids would be playing while Ralph and I were doing step work. And I learned that I couldn't change anybody, but I could change me. I learned that, you know, when, when, when my father was saying negative things about me, he was really talking about how he felt. So I learned to have empathy for the alcoholic. I learned that uh, the, 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 the disease is so powerful that I, it just projects into others. Um, we got to, you know, step three is like God was in charge. You know, God was in charge. And so we got to step four, and I started telling Ralph, you know, Ralph, you know, I'm stupid. I, you know, this is what I did. And, and, uh, and, and Ralph said, you know, Magdalena, you are not stupid. And, and I, I was telling him all the horrible things that are wrong with me. And he said, Magdalena, you need to stop, he says. And then because we were in the park, you know, he talked about the bird. He said, what do you think about the bird? I said, I think it's beautiful. He's like, it was a crow. And, and, <laughs> and he said, do you think the bird gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror and says, you're so dark, your feathers are out of place, or one leg smaller than the other? No, he said, the bird gets up in the morning and goes and does God's will. That's what you do. He said, God loves you just the way you are. And he said, you got to respect the children of God. You, do, you are nobody to judge the children of God, and that includes you. So you do not judge yourself. And, and so 
I, I learned that in, he also told me that uh, this life would be pretty boring if we all look the same, you know. <laughs> so anyways, I, so I, used, I have always enjoyed exercising. So I remember going for a run, and in the past, I remember running, and if somebody passed me, I would say, oh, gosh, you're so slow. Look at it. That guy passed you again. But now, because Ralph told me I couldn't do that anymore, I, I started, you know, when I was running, I would, I would sing to myself, pretty woman running down the street. <laughs> so I started, I became a part of the world, you know, not different. I became part of, uni- of the universe. I became part of you. And one day they gave me the great honor to be the coffee person. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. Because I learned I couldn't keep it unless I gave it away. And so I was worried, is there anything I can do? (laughs) And so in this meeting, uh, they used to give me 2 or $3 and for bottomless coffee, right? So I I will take two pots of coffee, go to the next room, and give $3 to the alcoholics, and that's when I was introduced to sober members of AA. It's like, that's how alcoholics look like, you know, the sober alcoholics. So in, in, in the, I would give him two empty ones. He would give me two full ones. And the guy would say, dear, if you need more, just come back, okay? I, okay. So I was just so honored. Then, you know, I later became the, the treasurer, even though they knew I was a shoplifter, you know. <laughs> They allow me to be that treasure. There's no Alatin meetings at that time in the town where I live. And so I started Alatin meetings. There was no Spanish meetings. So I was like, this is the answer to my family's problems. You know, so I started meetings in Spanish and nobody came, you know. I'm sorry. None of my family members came, you know. But other people did. And, and I started feeling better. I started feeling stronger. Um, kids were, you know, went to Alatin and, and, uh, you know, I remember telling my kids, you know, my kids used to, every time I got close to them, my kids would go like this. They were afraid of me and I just felt so bad. And, and they, you know, they, they were now in Alatin and, and I remember, telling them, you know, I need your help. I need to learn how to speak with you. Can you tell me when I'm screaming? And then, uh, you know, they had no problem telling me that. <laughs> I said, Mom, you're screaming again. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, you know, I learned in Al-Anon how to speak with my kids. You know, they, they would say, I would tell them, I don't know how to talk to my kids without telling them what to do. And, and my friends in Al-Anon would say, Magdalena, go for a walk and listen to your kids. Listen to what they have to say. You know, listen to them and, and don't say anything. And, and I remember listening to my kids' way of thinking, their thoughts and, and, and their aspirations, aspirations in life and, and their joys and their pains and, and, the miracle began to happen, and I started having a great relationship with my kids. And my husband came out of prison, and he decided to go to AA. And one day, you know, I had learned that my kids were first. And, and one day, um, I learned that, you know, I give my kids a bath, I read them a book, 
and I and I go to bed and I learn something new every day. You know, in that just for today pamphlet talks about just for today I will not be a mental loafer. So every day I need to learn something new, and so so I will go to bed and read and read something. And one day my husband was having a bad day, and he came home and said, "Well, gosh, you're just not paying enough attention on me." You know, if you don't do this or whatever, I'm going to go out and get drunk. So I said, you know, make sure you lock the door on your way out, okay? (laughs) And that's how I learned. (laughs) I learned detachment, you know, detachment with love. I didn't scream. I didn't get in front of the door, nothing. So by the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous today, he's got 28 years of sobriety. It was 1990, and the World Convention of Alcoholics Anonymous was coming to Seattle. And my husband and I uh, decided to go, and our kids were in an Alatine convention. And we, got, we went and got him out of that convention, and we drove to, to Seattle, and we just felt in love with the city. You know, we had, at least I had never seen so many trees, so much water. The air was so fresh. And I told my husband, you know, why can't we move here? And he said, there's nothing stopping us. Wherever we go, the program is there. And you know what happens when we stop bailing the alcoholic out of jail? There's money. So So we were able to buy a home, a trailer, a boat, anything that we wanted. But, you know, that's material stuff. It's, it's important, but not that important. What's important is the program. And, and so we knew that wherever we go, God was there and you guys were there. So we sold everything, and six months after, we moved to Seattle. And the kids were, you know, at least our son, he thought he was camping every night because it's so green. And, uh, and kids got involved in Alatine. There was no Spanish Allen and meetings. So I got busy and I started Spanish Allen and meetings. There was only one AA meeting in Spanish that met in the Seattle area once a week. So my husband got busy in AA. He started all these meetings and because he's got the attraction, you know, same attraction when he was drinking, he has it in AA. And sometimes I wonder, why? You know, sometimes when I'm concentrating on the alcoholic, not on me, I'm thinking, you know, he's eating the cereal wrong. Why is it that people, people in AA like him? You know, I don't see anything good on him, you know. <laughs> Just because he's eating the cereal wrong, you know. But it's not him, it's I, you know. So anyways, he still has that attraction. And so I, one day, you know, my daughter was very active in Alatine. She was uh, speaking everywhere, spoke in Alaska, all schools. And then one day she started looking different. And, and she started having, you know, black bags under her eyes. She was, you know, she had bruises on her arm. And like, what's going on with this kid? You know, what's going on? And, but she was still very active in Alatine. And, you know, we found out that she was drinking. And that's when her journey began to you know, to go to treatment, and, you know, we offered her to go to treatment, and she went, 
but then she will come out and drink again and do it over. And, you know, this kid grew up in Alatin. She was six years old when she started in the program. She was one of those kids running around the convention, riding the elevator, <laughs> like many other teens, and, and now she was drinking. And, but, you know, she was so, it, it was so easy, so easy for her to convince the counselors that she was well because she learned that language in this program. So we thought we were, you know, we, she was gonna die. And, and, um, one day I, I just, you know, I decided that I needed to go back to school. I was working now as a waitress. And, um, and it was, I had that graveyard shift, and one day I came home, and, and I was full of grease in my little green uniform, and I got on my knees, and I said, God, how much longer do I need to do these kind of jobs? And I remember Ralph telling me, Magdalena, without an education, you're not going to do anything in life. And there was nothing wrong with being a waitress, nothing wrong. You know, but I wanted something better. And I remember on that date, I made an inventory of my job, you know, a resume, you know, farm worker, housekeeper, dishwasher, you know, anything, factory worker, anything. And, and um, so that date, I made a decision to trust my sponsor one more time and, and go back to school. And that's when my, you know, during that time, my daughter was also drinking. And one day, I, I remember um, wanting to quit my job because there was one more time that, that she needed to, to go to treatment, but we, our income was too high. You know, my husband was now, he used, he used to make elevators. Now he's cleaning the elevators at the airport. And I was a waitress, and, and it was too much money, you know, the minimum. And so I was thinking about quitting my job so she could go to treatment. And, uh, but I, you know, I learned in the program that, that we gotta take care of ourselves. And, and so I decided to stay on the job and, and, uh, my daughter went to treatment one more time. Well, on, on the fourth time, you know, she came to me and she said, Mom, I need to go to treatment. And, and what we had to do, Tradition One talks about the unity of the home, you know. When my daughter was drinking, we wanted to blame each other. My husband and I wanted to blame each other. And there was my little boy who was lost and we were not paying attention on him. You know, and we catch ourselves, and, and, uh, and we had to ask our daughter to leave the house. Because see, I had learned in Al-Anon that the more I protect the alcoholic, the more I can harm them. And, and, Tradition six, you know, if I'm living by the principles of the program, tradition six talks about that I'm not endorsing others. Well, if I continue to support my daughter and her disease, I'm endorsing an outside issue. You know, so I decide, we decided, you know, to ask our daughter to leave because, you know, our, our relationship and our boy was, uh, was important. I also learned in Al-Anon that, that, God has all powers, and God could take care of my daughter. So one day, I, I remember putting my daughter in the hands of God and stretching my arms and said, God, she is yours. Whether she was to live or die, 
she will be okay because she was in the hands of God. And, and so one day she comes to me for the fourth time. She comes to me and said, Mom, I need to go to treatment. And this time, you know, she was drunk. And, and she got really close to me, and I could smell my dad's breath, you know. And I, I just remember that. And, and, uh, and I said, you know, I said, no, don't go to treatment. I said, you go to AA, go to meetings, get a sponsor, and you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay because I trust Alcoholics Anonymous. I know the program works. And so my daughter looked at me with her alcoholic breath, and she said, Mom, don't you understand I can't stop drinking? And I couldn't understand. You know, I couldn't understand. And I said, we'll take you to treatment. And it was in a November snowy day. You know, my husband and I wrapped my daughter in a blanket, and we put her in the back seat of the car, just like our little girl, and we took her to treatment one more time. In this treatment center, they took her to an AA meeting. The AA meeting didn't have a coffee person. She became the coffee person. And today, <laughs> by the grace of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and, and by the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous, she has 18 years of sobriety. I am just so grateful to members of Alcoholics Anonymous for giving my, giving me a daughter and giving me a husband. You know, we have the little boy there that, uh, he, he thought, Mom, 10 years of Alatin is enough. I'm cured. <laughs> you know, this little boy, uh, he knows the program and I know he's drinking, but he's also in the hands of God. And one day when he was in high school, he had this girlfriend, and and they broke up. And and when they broke up, oh, oh they bought a cat. Okay, they bought, I don't like cats. Okay, so they bought a cat, and when they broke up, he gained custody of the cat, and he brought the cat home. And um, and one day I was having an Allen on relapse. Okay, and I was snooping in his room. You know, he's in high school. What am I doing? Is his room? He's doing everything right. You know, he's he's a great kid. He's very responsible. He never misses school. And so I I was snooping in his room, and he had a mess. And and I so I wrote him a nasty note saying, "If you don't clean your room, I'm gonna throw your cat away." You know, so he wrote me another nasty note. And he put that triangle of, a, a, you know, <laughs> with that circle. And he put A.A. Allen on. He said, Mom, I'm cleaning my room one day at a time. You know, so. <laughs> so, I'm not all the way done yet, you know. In Spanish, he put, P.S., keep coming back, it works, you know. <laughs> so, when he went away to the university, I got stuck taking care of that cat. You know, good thing I'm smart because I introduced him to the outside world. And that cat's still around, you know. This, this boy, uh, he graduated from the university. He's got a great job. He travels all over the world. And, uh, and, but I, I truly believe that, that he, he has what we give in the program. You know, he, he knows that wherever he goes, he's going to be okay because 
God is with him. And uh, last night he sent me a text uh, saying that he loves me. And, uh, and, you know, every Wednesday we get together and we have dinner is, is what works for everybody. And if I'm not home because I'm doing some kind of al service, he gets pretty upset. He's like, Mom, it was our time and you were not here. And, and so I, that's because of the results of this program. I, I have a relationship with my kids. We now have a granddaughter. Um, our daughter got married, and she got married to the guy of her dreams. And unfortunately, this guy relapsed. And, and one day she said, you know, they had a, we have a granddaughter. And our granddaughter was two years old. And this guy was drinking. And she said, you know, I love you, but I love my sobriety and my daughter more. And she walked out of the marriage just like that. She did not have to take karate classes. You know, <laughs> she did not have to bail him out of jail. Nothing. And, and I believe it's what she learned in Alatine and Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, today she's remarried and, uh, I'm not sure if I like this guy a lot, you know, but <laughs> it's her choice. I, you know, and she's, she's pregnant with her second child and she's a happy girl. She looks like she's happy. Carlos and I, you know, um, Carl, you know, when I first started in, in, in the program, I saw a lot of people getting divorced. I was 25, he was 26 or 27. We were pretty young. And, and I started looking at all the bikers, and the bikers look pretty good, you know? <laughs> then as the years went by, I started looking at the professionals, and they look pretty good too, you know? <laughs> but then Carlos also had a lot of young friends in AA, you know, and they look pretty good too. <laughs> So I had to make, a, make an inventory because I was seeing some of my Al-Anon friends going into another relationship. And I wanted some of that too, you know. <laughs> I wanted what you guys had. <laughs> but then I had to make an inventory of what I wanted, you know. And my sponsor helped me with that. And, and Carlos is the best father. He treats me good. You know, sometimes he, you know, he tells me that I get, that I'm always in a hurry. I don't know what gives him that idea. You know, <laughs> he said, you're always busy, but he's a great husband. You know, he's, he's a financial responsible and, you know, he's my best friend. And, and so I, so if we make it by next month, we'll be married for 35 years. And I'm just so grateful. I have the best relationship with my mom and my sisters. Uh, I, I have accepted them just the way they are. I don't try to change them. I, I call my mom once a week, and, uh, and we have a good relationship. She tells, me, Ma, she tells me, you know, out of all my six daughters, you're the one that calls me the most, and you're the farthest away. And that's because of the program. See, because I have a program. My mom doesn't, neither do my sisters. I have a program, and I want to have... I want to be the best daughter I can possibly be. I want to be the best mother, the best wife, the best of everything. But I, you know, I do it to the best of my capacity. I'm also still involved in service. I am the delegate for the state of Washington. This is my last year. And thanks. In 1999, I graduated with a four-year college degree. 
And that's because I do what my sponsor tells me to do. Today I work for the state of Washington as a parole officer. (laughs) I send people to AA, you know. If they don't go, they suffer the consequences of their actions, you know, which I have no problem putting people in jail, you know. My job can be dangerous because, you know, we go into people's homes. We deal with a lot of people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol, and they don't like it when we take their toys away. You know, they don't like it when we take their alcohol away. So I I call Ralph, and, and, and I told him, Ralph, you know, I think I need to be armed, <laughs> but, I, but I have to pass this psychological test, and I don't know if I'll pass. You know, I'm kind of crazy. <laughs> and Rob said, well, Magdalena, if, if God wants you to have a gun, you will, you know. So today I'm an armed officer. <laughs> I call my sisters. I go, I have a gun. I have a gun. I have a gun. <laughs> they were all worried for my husband. Is your husband going to be okay? <laughs> Today, I have the best world, I have the best life, a life that I never dreamed of. You know, last night, my husband, after the meeting, my husband and I went to, we were walking by the hospitality room, and I just want to feel that energy, the laughter, you know, the wave of, of, of happiness that it's among us, you know. And, uh, and I'm going to finish with this story. I am just so grateful to be here. When I was a little girl, I remember going to the beach, and, and I remember going under the waves and hoping that I would come out in another world where people laughed and, and, uh, and they, they had some problems that they would, you know, reason things out, love one another, and be happy. And today, I feel that I have come out over the wave, and I, over, I'm, I'm sorry, under the wave and up. And I have found all of you. Thank you so much for the life I have today. God bless you.